message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Amen. Amen. As you're taking a seat, grab your Bible. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some just under the seat in front of you, and uh, you can take that home if you need it. How are we doing? Everybody good? Good? All right. Let me give you just a couple of announcements. Most of them are in your bulletin. Tonight is Men of Prayer. Uh, my house, 5 o'clock. If you need directions to that, you can ask, uh, you can ask me or Jeff or uh, any one of the regular guys. They can give you directions. Uh, also, not in your bulletin, Friday, October 17th, uh, family camp out here at the church. If you want more information about that, you can visit the main hall bulletin board. There's a sign-up sheet there. Please sign up so we have an idea of who to expect. And, uh, and you can talk to Mr. Jeff if you need more information about that, what supplies are needed, etc. They're going to kick off about uh, 5 o'clock Friday evening and, uh, and camp, be here for the morning, and then head on home. All right? Um, let's start with reading our passage for today. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Children. John uses that word over and over for us, doesn't he? It's a good word. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in him. John is writing his letter. To a church not too unlike our own, not too unlike the modern church. It's a church that's got some issues. It's a church that's in the midst of a battle. It's a church that is being, uh, in every way, deceived if they, if they allow it. Truth is being challenged. It's a church where they're starting to ask the question, who's who in the zoo? I mean, Who's who's the real deal? Who's in Christ? Who's not in Christ? Who who really is a Christian and who who qualifies to be called by that title? There are some question marks. There's confusion. There's doubt. There's fear. There's frustration, sometimes anger and even even desperation. 
uh, I've been a professional pastor now for about 14 years. And I'll tell you that I've realized that whether you call me, text me, email me, or drop by my house, and you are in need for direction, help, whatever the case may be, and no matter, no matter what flavor of help you request from me, uh, I've found over the years that usually I end up giving you advice that points you in one direction or another, one of two directions, repeatedly. And they are these. Number one, I find myself pointing you towards the Word of God. Pointing you towards the truth that is found in the Word of God. Pointing you to Scripture. Now, I may not, I may not tell you that. I may not open the Bible and say, listen, no, read this verse. What does it say? And, and what do you think you ought to do now with, with what's going on in your life? I may, not, I may not take it that far. I may just share advice with you. I may just share truth with you. I may just give you wisdom, but I'm just going to tell you it, it is only as good as it connects back to the truth that's in the Word of God. And so, and so usually I'm giving you the Word of God. On the other hand, I find just as, just as frequently, if I'm not giving you the Word of God, if I'm not pointing you to the truth that's in the Scripture, I'm, I'm calling upon the Holy Spirit that resides within you as a Christian. And essentially what I'm telling you, or what I'm asking you is, what is, the, what is the Spirit that is alive within you? What is He saying? He knows you better than I do. So what does the Word say? What does the Holy Spirit say? The two anchors of my own heart. The truth living in my Bible and the Holy Spirit living in my body. That, that two-pronged anchor of my heart uh, is really is really the thing that I depend upon. Without without them, my heart uh, would be lost in a sea of despair. I could promise you. That that two pronged anchor. If you want to if you want to think about it in that way, the the word of God and His truth and the Holy Spirit that resides within you. That. That is the same anchor that John is pointing us towards in this passage this morning. You, you should, as always, have some questions as you're, as you're reading through a passage. It's a lengthy passage this morning. You, you should automatically have some questions. I, I had questions right after the first phrase. Children, it is the last hour. Did anybody else kind of wonder to themselves, well, how long, John, is this last hour going to last? I mean, this was 2,000 years ago. We're in the last hour still. Uh, let's just be honest. Anybody wondered about this last hour? You should. I mean, that's an honest and fair question. What is this last hour? That's a good, fair question to ask yourself as you're reading through this passage. By the way, somebody told me this week that it feels like sometimes that I'm just locked in and looking at them, Lynn. Does it ever feel that way to you? Like I'm just looking sometimes? All right, so just anybody else feel that way sometimes? All right, so everybody feels that way, so nobody has to feel that way specifically, all right? So if, I, if I'm going to talk about something really evil or something, I'll just look at Jeff, and Jeff, don't take it personal. But that way nobody else feels like I'm, I'm staring at them, right? Okay, take it for the team. All right, so uh, where was I? This last hour, how long is it going to last? What, what does this phrase, the last hour, refer to? The last hour is not so much an hour in the terms that we think of a clock on your watch. It's more of a season, 
in biblical terms. All right? So you've got to understand that when John says, even 2,000 years ago, we're in the last hour, it, it's not as if he's saying Christ is coming back tomorrow, although there is a sense in which he was calling the church to live that way. There is, a, there is a true sense in which the Bible would call us to understand we're living in the last hour, which means we've got to live like it's our last day. And, and that is true. But at the same time, hey, we've got to be honest. What is this last hour? It's, it's, more like a, it's more like a last season that we're in. And what does that mean? Here, here's what it means. I'll, let me just give you a little bit of, a, of an idea so that you can understand better what he's trying to say to us in this passage. The last hour, this last season that we're in, this sometimes in Scripture it's called the, the final age, it's a time that we live in right now among church history. It's also referred to as the age of grace. You live in the age of grace, the days of grace. And that age of grace can also be understood as the, as the last age, the, the last hour. After this, after this, God comes back. History terminates as far as time and space goes and all things will be judged. We're in the last hour in that sense. The last hour began when Jesus came to earth. He started the clock on this last season. So how do you know we're in the last hour? Well, one, the last hour has to, has to be understood with Jesus coming. That's what started grace, this age of grace. Let me give you a few passages that help us with the perspective of the last hour. You don't need to turn to these. They won't be on the screen. Just listen. Acts 2, 16 and 17 says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, pointing back to the Old Testament. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, The Old Testament stories were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In many and in various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his, anybody know what it is? By his son. It's marked by the coming of the son. Uh, Hebrews 9, 26, he has appeared once for all, that's God in the flesh, at the end of the age, that's the previous age, to put all, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. His coming sacrifice, his life and death, Mark, the beginning of this age. 1 Peter 1.20, Christ was destined before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the end of the times, that's the previous age, for your sake. So you get an idea here of what he's talking about this last hour? I mean, what, what, you, need to, what you need to understand is that John's not senile here. Like 2,000 years later, we could say, you know what, let's not even listen to this guy because he didn't even know what he's talking about. And it's been 2,000 years. He's, he's still wanting us to think we're in the last hour. Well, we are. If understood biblically, we are, in, we are in the last hour. The last hour is characterized by a few things. Christ's coming, this pouring out of the Spirit, as we saw there in Acts 2, that the Spirit would be poured out upon His church in a plentiful way. So the Spirit's coming is another characterization of the last hour. And then finally, John's going to say that another, another good way to understand that we're in the last hour is not only has Christ come, but those who are against Christ are going to increase. And he, he calls them antichrists. Okay? So that leads to our next question. What's the deal with these antichrists, right? Some of you have seen movies on the antichrist. And now John's referring to plural antichrists, the spirit of antichrist. I mean, what, what is this? What is he talking about? You've got to have some idea of what he's talking about here if you're going to understand where he's going in this passage. 
I don't think it's any different than what Jesus has already said, although Jesus never uses that phrase, Antichrist. Matthew 24, 5 and 24 say this, For many will come in my name, this is Jesus talking, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. For false, false Christs and false prophets, they're, they're one and the same. Those who claim to be Christ, but they're not Christ. And those who claim to be prophets, but they're not prophets. They're pointing you in a different direction, away from me, who is the true Christ, Jesus says, they will arise and show great signs and great wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So one of the signs of this last age we're in is that not only Christ has come, not only has his spirit been poured out upon us, but also those who are against Christ are going to be plentiful. And that's exactly what John's dealing with as he writes this letter. There are those who are coming against Jesus Christ and his deity. John is, by the way, the only writer that uses the term antichrist or antichrists. Did you know that? 1 John 2.18, he already referred to it in one of our previous uh, readings. You have heard that the antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. 1 John 4.3, we're going to see later, every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, those who are against Christ, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is in the world already. We're in that age. Second John, he's going to say something there as well. For many deceivers, and he always equates deception and lies with the Antichrist. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus in the flesh. And that's the main doctrinal tenet that he's dealing with here in First in John, is that there are those in the church saying, well, Jesus, I mean, he was a good guy and all, but he really wasn't God in the flesh. And John says, okay, no deal. If, if that's the stance you're going to take doctrinally, that Jesus wasn't God, then, then we, we can't stand with you. That's a deal breaker. We're not on the same page. Those are, those, are, those are doctrinal terms of those who would be antichrist. First uh, John 2:22, "Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son." Okay? So you get a better idea of, of what he's dealing with here in this church? And I mean, you know, we don't need to go around putting labels on people, calling them antichrist, but the spirit of deception, the spirit of the, the antichrist that will one day come, and that's another sermon for another day, can already be seen in little antichrists already popping up in the church everywhere, even 2,000 years ago, pointing us not towards Jesus, the one and only, the true Christ, but, but, towards, but towards frauds and fakes, denying that Jesus is and was who he said he was. So here's the point. We're in the last hour. You're in the last hour. We live in this last hour. We know this because Christ has come. We know this because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon his church. We see that in Acts, Pentecost. And we also know it, unfortunately, because those who are against Christ and his people are plentiful. And that's the... That's the place we live, that's the last hour characterized, and it's the battle you face. Not only is that the context for John, but it's certainly our context. It still holds true 2,000 years later. You might say, although it's not completely accurate, you might, you might call that last hour the fourth quarter. Except for we don't know when the fourth quarter is going to end. I mean, we don't know how much time is left on the clock, and no one knows and let me, let me give you just a little aside here on this last hour, on this last age, this age of grace that we live in and how long it might last. 
There's another linchpin that this last hour is tied to. You need to tie the last hour and the length that it'll be to 2 Peter 3, 9. Do we have that? Did I give you that one? 2 Peter 3, 9, one of my favorite passages. I use this most often uh, in funerals, actually. Maybe you can figure out why I would use it in funerals. But the passage says, The Lord is not slow about His promise. In the context of 2 Peter, he's talking about those who are beginning to mock the early church because they've been saying we're in the last hour and that Jesus is going to come back. And those who are outside of the church are starting to scratch their head and mock and point and laugh and say, Listen, these guys are these guys are wacko. They think, I mean, He's coming back. Where is He? I mean, we're in the last hour. How long is this hour going to last? If He's promised to come back, I mean, what, is He asleep? Did he fall asleep on you guys? Is that why he's not back? And Peter responds. He says, the Lord is not slow about fulfilling his promises. could also be translated that the Lord is not slack about his promises. God's not a slacker. He hasn't fallen asleep on the job. He hasn't forgotten about his promises. But you've got to understand something about God. He's not slow about his promises as some count slowness. But what God is, is he is, tell me what the word is. Say it. Patient. And he's patient toward you, the world, not wishing or desiring, some translations say, not desiring that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So what is God up to? When the world is gone berserk, when life seems to be falling apart and you are sometimes wondering, where is God and when is this last hour going to be over? And what is he what is he going to do about these antichrists? You've got to remember that God is, God is at work. And God is using you and I, hopefully, to extend the gospel in its terms to a dying and lost world. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that, that God is not slow about his promises, but I'm also, I'm also thankful that he is patient towards us. Because there are some in this room who need more time, who have not yet allowed God's grace to cover their sin. They've not yet repented in their hearts over their own rebellion towards God. They've not yet been saved. They've not yet been converted. Maybe there are some that are not so tall in this room that you and I are waiting on to come to repentance. Amen? And so be careful what you pray for. You know, we, we sometimes wish that God would come back and just fix it all, right? I mean, I, that's, a, that's an honest prayer. It's an okay prayer. But the truth is that when God comes back and He does fix it, He's going to fix it, but He's going to fix it all. He's not just going to fix who you want Him to fix. He's going to fix it all. And that means judgment falls on everyone. All creation has to answer to its Creator. And maybe not everyone's ready yet. So how long will this hour last? How long will these antichrists be allowed to uh, do their work on this earth of deception? I hope a little bit longer, unfortunately. Because there are some that you and I love that, that need to come to repentance. That he is still dealing with their hearts. So what does John have for us? What words of wisdom does he give us in this last hour? Certainly, the last remaining apostle who is writing here to the church, certainly he has 
something fresh for us to hold on to. Certainly he has something of value. Certainly he has a new game plan to bestow upon the church as he's about to, about to leave this earth at near 100 years old. Certainly he has a game plan for us to go to. Certainly he's got some, some new word for the church to, to cling to. And the answer is no. He does not. He does not have a new word. Let what you have heard from the beginning, John says, abide in you. Did you catch that in our reading? Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. John doesn't have a new game plan for us. While all these deceivers are popping up saying this is, this is truth and, and, and I've received this word and we're going to add this to Christianity, John said, no, no, no. Just, just rest on what we've told you in the very beginning. Nothing has changed. I titled the sermon, if you saw it in the bulletin, Why John Couldn't Work for Apple. Maybe some of you got that. Maybe some of you didn't. Apple has led the industry and shaped culture because they pride themselves on staying one generation ahead of all their competitors. And they're doing a pretty good job. They have tapped into that thing in us that longs for something new. Not only have they tapped into it, but they have fed that thing that is within us, good, bad, or ugly, that desires the new gadget. Nobody wants the old gadget. We want the new one. Nobody wants the old car. We want the new one. We like the new songs, we want the new shoes, the new clothes, the new TV, the new house, etc., etc. Old is ew. New is good, better, and new is best. New is right. Old is wrong. And Apple, Apple sells that better than anyone, don't they? But John couldn't work for Apple because his advice has nothing new to offer. In fact, his advice is really a throwback. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. He actually says it twice in verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. And in case you missed it there, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you see, if, if, if John were getting graded by a high school English teacher, there'd be read all over it for redundancy. But John sees fit, and the Holy Spirit writing through John sees fit that, that we be reminded, listen, don't worry about the new one. Don't worry about the new fangled religion out there. Just go back to what we told you in the beginning. Just go back. Stand on the truth that we've already given you. There's no need for an update. There's no need for an upgrade. What we've told you is already perfect. There's no improvement that could be made upon the truth of the gospel that they've already shared. Now, let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me stop for a second. I want to be clear about something. Because some of you will mistake my point here and use it against me later um, to leverage your own, your own desires of holding us to something of old-time religion, maybe. I'm all for new stuff, okay? Uh, I'd rather have new food than old food. I don't know about you. I'd rather run in new Nikes than last year's technology. I mean, I just think they're making improvements. Uh, I, I would prefer a new fuel-efficient car to the old Oldsmobile Monte Carlo or Mazda that my parents drove back in the day. Can I get an amen from uh, back here in my family? Yeah. 
I mean, I don't mind the new stuff. I don't. Um, I'm thinking about thinking about a, uh, a new iPhone 6, uh, mostly because mine is shattered now. I didn't do it on purpose, I promise. Um, I like the oldies, but even God says, please sing to me a new song. Yeah, he does. So there's nothing wrong inherently with, with stuff being new. But the point here, and I, I think you would understand, is that when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to the truth related to Jesus Christ and everything surrounding his gospel message, there is no need for an upgrade. And there's no new information out there. It wasn't incomplete or insufficient to begin with that we would need an update to the system. Every week we've got to update the system that runs these screens up here because before every service it crashes and we've we got to go online and they've got to patch it and fix the programming so that it doesn't break again. The gospel has no breaks. It has no kinks. It has no distresses. It has, it has no gaps that need to be filled in by later added information. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Uh, beyond that, I, I, I just got to admit, we got to be honest here. John starts to sound like the teacher from Charlie Brown. As you read this passage here, it's, it's, it's like he's got marbles in his mouth. And some of you, as I was reading it, just, you, you just got lost after the first half of the first verse that I read. And it's, it's confusing, maybe. It's difficult. I mean, you've got you to gotta jump in here and you've got to pry it apart and you've got to try and dig in and understand it. I get it. Maybe if we uh, start to pull some of the marbles out of John's mouth, we'll find, I think, that he gives really a, a twofold set of wisdom here. I, I think he gives us that same anchor that I referred to earlier. Specifically, stick with the word which you heard from the beginning, number one. And number two, hold on to the spirit that is residing in you. Um, let me try and untangle some of this for you. In verse 20 and verse 27, go to verse 20. He mentions that you have been anointed, but you have been, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know, or you know all things that could also be translated. Go to verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in him. In those two verses, he mentions now that you have been anointed. To be anointed means that something has been bestowed upon you. Something has been placed within you. It is the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't use that term here, but I think it's easy to understand from the context of the New Testament as a whole. Acts 10.38 says that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13, don't turn, just listen. It says that God has given us His anointing. He has given us His Spirit. And so, twice in verse 20, and then a couple times in verse 27, we hear that we have been bestowed upon us, we have within us, this anointing. And so you could read verse 20 like this. But you have the Holy Spirit from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse 27, as for you, the Holy Spirit which you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But, at, uh, but as His Holy Spirit teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as you have been taught, you abide in Him. 
via the Holy Spirit. You understand? And so a key to understanding this whole passage in these two verses, what is this anointing? The anointing is the Holy Spirit that he, is, that he has bestowed upon us. All right? Now, it's a good thing we have the Spirit because he brings knowledge and understanding according to these two verses. Did you notice verse 20? What does the anointing bring? It brings knowledge so that you can know all things. Verse 27, he says once again in a different way, quite redundantly, that this anointing brings knowledge, wisdom, information for you. So where do we get our, where do we get our truth? In part, we get it from this indwelling anointing that he has placed upon us, that he has bestowed upon us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He's like a tutor, Scripture would say, next to us, guiding us through life. He goes as far as saying is that you don't need really anybody else. I think what that means here in the context of John's situation is that, listen, these new teachers that are coming along trying to point you in a new direction, you don't need that. You've got, you've got the tutor not just sitting next to you, but he resides within your own heart and he's pointing you in the right direction. So we have the Holy Spirit. There's one problem, though. Maybe you're astute enough to, uh, to have already thought of this. What if the guy sitting next to me claims to have a spirit living in him, guiding him into truth? <laughs> then what do we do? I mean, if, if we as a Christian people say, listen to the spirit that resides within you for guidance, we've got to understand that there's a danger to that. Because anybody in this room can stand up and say, the spirit is guiding me in this direction. And what do we do? What do we do? John will say in the next chapter, actually in two chapters, look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Did I give you that one? Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Are there more, are there, are there more than just the Holy Spirit out there? There actually are. Connected to these antichrists, these deceivers, the antichrist who is connected back to the father of all lies, our adversary, guess what? There are evil spirits out there misguiding you, pointing you in the wrong direction. Don't believe the evil, or don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That's a challenge to us. To see whether they are from God or not, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what do we do? We, well, we've got to test them. What do we, what do we test the spirits against? to figure out if they're from God or not. Verse 24, I think, is the key. Go back to chapter 2, verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you had heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. How do you know if you line up with the Son... How do you know if you line up with the Father? How do you know that what you think the Spirit is telling you is from the Son or from the Father? How do you know it's the Holy Spirit and not some whack spirit coming out of left field? How do you know that what the guy down the street in your neighborhood who says he is religious and says he is Christian, how do you know that the Spirit he's listening to is the same Spirit you are listening to? What if he says that the Spirit is guiding me towards this and it should, it should do the same thing in you? How do you know whether he's going down the right road or not? Well, there's a way to know. There's a way to test the spirits. John would say, 
Is he saying anything different than what we've told you from the very beginning? If he is, don't go that way. It's that simple. So while you have this Holy Spirit in you, young people, listen to me, because this is, this is foundational for the rest of your life. Christianity 101. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. But sometimes it's hard to tell if it's his voice or your voice or the voice of the, the bad guy trying to whisper and point you in the wrong direction. How do you know which voice to listen to? You know the Word of God, the truth of God, so that you can test the Spirit's by the word he has already spoken to us. Remember, John has said there's no need for a new word. There's no need for more information than what the, the founding apostles have already given us. And so if it doesn't match, get rid of it. Do you see the balance? Do you see the system of checks and balances here? You have the Spirit. He teaches you all you need to know. How do you know you're listening to the right Spirit? He doesn't say anything that doesn't line up with the truth that is in your hand. I mean, imagine the church just guided by the Spirit. Sometimes we find that people are guided by their indigestion, thinking it's the Spirit, it seems like, right? There's something bubbling up in me, Pastor. I don't know what that is, but it's not, it's, it's not the Spirit that I'm hearing. Well, how do you know? Well, because I don't, I don't find that verse anywhere in the Bible. Oh, but the Spirit. Well, but but did, you test, did you test what you think that Spirit is saying to you? Oh, no. But I think it's a new word. Hey, be careful with that new word that you've got. John, John says there's no need for a new word. Especially when it comes to the gospel message. Especially when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. Um, go back to chapter 2, verse 7, because he's already dealt with this. Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. It's as if throughout this whole letter, John is bending over backwards to let you and I know that you don't need any new additional information. You don't need another book added to these 66. It's all there. What they have taught you from the beginning is all you need. Let me give some clarification for those of you who might be confused about the role of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to take us beyond the teaching of the apostles. Some of you think that the role of the Holy Spirit is to whisper new stuff to you. And maybe it's new to you, but it shouldn't be new to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us accept and abide in that old teaching that the apostles have already brought and solidified. The Holy Spirit's job is to help you grow in your understanding of that teaching, not to give you new teaching. The Holy Spirit's job is to strengthen and empower you to practice that teaching which has already been declared and solidified via the apostles. The Holy Spirit is to increase our confidence in that truth and in that Teaching. The Holy Spirit does not change those teachings. The Holy Spirit does not even expand upon those teachings. So how do you know that you don't need Muhammad or Charles Russell or Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or Jim Jones or the next guy that you might see on TV that comes on after old reruns of Mr. Sun, Young, Moon, etc.? 
How do you know that that additional revelation that they've said they've been given, that has come from God, is not needed or trustworthy? Well, two, two, two things you can rely upon. That as a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, abiding in you, and His job is to lead you into all truth. And as he leads you into all truth, if you don't find that truth in Scripture, then you need to test that, that guidance. You need to test that instruction. You need to test that tutor because maybe it's not the Holy Spirit that is whispering to you. And so you have the truth in the Word of God. And you have the Holy Spirit of God. This, this two-pronged anchor for your heart and your soul. One, as a Christian, abides within you and you have no choice. He's going to whisper or he's going to hit you over the head if he needs to. The other might just sit on your bookshelf and you may never tap into it. The other may just stay on the floorboard of your car from when you leave here today and toss it in the back until next Sunday you're looking for it on your way to church and your spouse has to tell you, no, 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 you left it on the floorboard behind the car. Remember last Sunday? Oh yeah, that's where it is. If you don't know the truth, Guess what? You can be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along. So when you text me, email me, call me, or drop by my house, and you've got whatever issue it is, sometimes, sometimes I'm saying, well, what is the Spirit, what is the spirit guiding you? Because, I mean, he's better at that than I am. But sometimes what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to point you to, even without quoting Scripture and verse, is Scripture and verse. And saying, hey man, if you knew what the Bible said about who you are in Jesus Christ... Maybe that wouldn't be a question. So, if we were to have a class on John's letter, how to stay out of trouble, 101, maybe we could call it. How to deal with sin, 101. How to save your marriage, 101. How to walk through tragedy, 101. How to put one foot in front of the other daily, 101. Young people, how to know which direction to point my life, 101. It's, we have the truth of God's Word recorded for us, and we have the Holy Spirit of God residing in us. Um, Maybe you didn't notice it, but in this long passage, there are only two imperatives. Last week, there was one imperative in our passage. You know what the imperative was last week? Anybody remember? It was in verse 15. It was the first phrase. Do not love the world. This week, you get two imperatives. In this long passage, only two imperatives. The first is found in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And the other is in verse 27 at the very end. And his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it is taught to you, abide in him. Isn't that interesting? Command number one in this passage. Let the word of God abide in you. Let God's word take up residence in you. That's what the word abide means. It means, to, it means to pitch a tent in your soul, in your heart. It means to live within you. Let the word of God live within you. Command number one. Command number two from John in this passage. You abide in the spirit. So how are you doing right there? Let the word live in you. Let it be alive and well in you. Let it have 
Let it have residence in your heart and in your mind. It's important that you do. And at the same time, at the very same time, you live, take up residence, abide in the Spirit. Two-pronged anchor. There's really nothing else to hold your soul. There's really nothing else in this dark, sometimes very difficult world that can anchor your heart from getting tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, being cast into the darkness and the depths of the sea of despair. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness to me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. Pray with me. Father, that's the song that we sing. It's a song that we're, we're going to declare right now. In the simple words of the one who wrote the song, your, your blood speaks a better word than all the claims of this world. Lord, there's a lot of information that comes to us. There are a lot of ideas, concepts, revelations. There are a lot of spirits that would try and lead us out there. And we, your children, sometimes we get, we get caught in the currents of today's latest craze, the waves of the newest doctrines, the newest ideas by the newest so-called theologians or religious leaders who, who are on the horizon of our world. Truth be known, maybe, Lord, they would be better called antichrists because if we were to really nail them down on what they believe about your son, then he is not... He's not the Christ. He wasn't here in the flesh. He wasn't truly who He said He was. If we were to really nail them down on who Jesus is, well, we'd really be on a whole other page, Lord. We'd find that they are anti to Christ. They're against Your Son. They're against the fact that He is the one true Savior of all humanity that Christ alone can save. And so, Lord, uh, guard our hearts. Let the words of your great apostle John resonate in our soul. Might we have forevermore that two-pronged anchor in our heart. Drive us to your word and tether us to your spirit that we might not be cast adrift. The blood of your Son is sufficient. And not only does it speak a better word, it speaks the best word. There is no need for an additional word. The blood of Christ, His sacrifice, your eternal plan from the very beginning, as declared by the apostles of old, is sufficient for us. It speaks righteousness for me. That gospel stands in my defense. And it's as simple as His blood. So we stand upon it. We take comfort in it this day. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. 
To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.